Welcome to the Sum of It All Take Two podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're revisiting an entire past season in each episode, sharing what we think now, along with new resources, connections, and opportunities. Transcripts to our podcasts are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we're revisiting season eight, the third edition of UDL Now, A Teacher's Guide to Applying Universal Design for Learning by Katie Novak. And I thought, Mark, maybe we'd start with things that are still resonating with us from the season. And mm-hmm. um, when we read UDL Now, one of the quotes and one of the things that stuck has stuck with me just since I read it was in chapter three, and it was around intervention. And Katie says, you will never intervention your way out of a weak tier one. And I remember reading that and just thinking of how much I resonated with, with that idea. Like, it's such a succinct way to describe all of my hesitations when someone mm. comes and says, I need something for tier one. I need something to purchase. I need to do this. And I'm always like, right. could we focus first on tier one instead of on intervention? Um, because intervention is a, it's a scary place to start. Um, and I like the way that she talks about, you'll, you'll never intervention your way out of a tier one. Oh yeah. Audrey, I like how you just were right out of the gate with that. Uh, just, just a great point. And you know, I feel like once we get to the point where we're going to embrace the variability of our students, it really nudges us away from like this idea of fixed groupings of students and reminds us that our students have strengths to tap into. And I think that is really something to keep in mind as as we're considering this idea of tier one, our first best instruction versus these this intervention thing that we're starting to have lots of conversations around, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So if we tap into these strengths and preferences on the front end with our students during that tier one, during that first best instruction, the thing that just resonates with me so much, Audrey, and others that I've shared it with, is that we'll end up with less students being identified for intervention. So I, I think that's a really good thing to think about. And what it also has me thinking about is that when we do find students, we say, even when we're using UDL on the front end of things, and we do find students that um, we, we haven't met their needs, we, we st- they still need some additional support, it really is going to influence how we do that, because we're going to have this degree of flexibility, and we're going to know that they each have variability, the students that need additional support, and we're not going to set it up with this deficit language like, you are a low math student because we're in, we're embracing the idea of variability. And the idea of variability means that there may be some temporary struggle around a particular concept, but we're not going to label a student for an entire year because of their need for some support in a particular area. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Mark. And I appreciate that point that that changes the way that we can view students and interact with students when we embrace this. So So maybe it's an opportunity here in this episode to talk about like, so what's the big deal with UDL? Like, why are we so dedicated to this? How do we see it as a tool um, to be used for equity in other other spaces? What what would you say to that? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say, Audrey, is that um, throughout our years of working together, we definitely have different things that become priorities for a while. And then sometimes those things get moved aside and we go on to other things that are priorities in terms of what people need for support in our area. 
But, you know, isn't it interesting how we stuck with UDL mm -hmm. um, for a period of years? Um, and I, I really think that UDL is the how of what we're trying to work toward with equity with students. And I think that that's partially why we've stuck with it as, as an approach that's really powerful. Um, you know, it's making me think, Audrey, that over the past couple of years uh, with COVID and with the lockdowns and many things that are going on in our world, that, you know, there's a lot of talk about, let's make things more equitable. This is a chance to reboot education. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about that, but there hasn't been necessarily a lot of overwhelming response from my view, Audrey, of like how to do that. Um, so I'm wondering, like everybody gets fired up about like, yes, let's be more equitable. And there's a big emotional response to that. And I'm wondering because of seeing some, a little bit of that energy drop off, I'm wondering if it's because people get really excited about making change, but then there's not that practical step to support them in actually doing it. And then I think you lose a little momentum um, when that piece is absent. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Mark. And I, I can relate to that. Like personally, there's there's a phrase we use around our office um, even that they say equity is love and action. And that resonates with me on so many levels that I really believe in that. But then what do you do with that? Like right. what are the actions that move us towards equity, right? And I think that that's just like the perfect example of like we get caught in like, I believe in this, I want to do this, but how? Yeah, I, I, it's it's so true. And and actually, Audrey, I don't even think this is probably something that we are guilty of in this space and time. Uh, I, I can think of many times where um, we emphasize this urgency around student needs that are not being met, but without providing practical options of how to shift our practice. I actually can remember a few staff meetings <laughs> where that was definitely, I was on board with the why, um, but with that, without a effective how, I, I sort of didn't have a path. So I think this idea of universal design for learning as a frame of concern, of you know, considering how each student and what barriers might exist for a learning experience and being able to consider those options or opportunities for them to overcome those barriers and providing those options to the rest of the students, it just really is a nice model of beginning to practically address inequities in our classrooms. Yeah. So like, I appreciate that. When you, when you talk about barriers, one of the things that has really solidified in my thinking um, since since we aired these episodes even, is that there are barriers both in the environment and context that are around us, as well as in understanding the variability of our learners. And I think the environment or context barriers are way easier to see mm -hmm. and deal with. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't enough time, the room isn't big enough, I don't have enough supplies for that, I need devices, right? Like, but understanding the variability of our learners can feel really overwhelming. Yeah, it, that is so true, Audrey. And I, I just think that that's why Todd Rose's TED Talk around the myth of average is such a great way to pave the way toward the use of UDL. It's like acknowledging the variability of our learners and putting that in the context of how everything within our system, our curriculum and our instruction have all in the past used that mythical average learner as the source of design. And so I think 
variability really is the driver of the purpose um, to consider UDL. Yeah, I love that you brought up Todd Rose's TED Talk um, because I think he does a great job, if folks haven't seen that, in helping us visualize what it means to design for variability when we think about fighter pilots. So that doesn't always transfer easily into the classroom. Like <laughs> our classrooms hopefully do not look like fighter fighter jets. Um, but another example that might be easier to kind of use the analogy from comes from a comic that you and I like to use that mm -hmm. has, it's around t-shirts. Right. And we know that not everyone wears the same size t-shirt. And so companies have figured this out and they've designed for the margins. Like there are extra small and petite shirts. There's mm. kids shirts, there's shirts <laughs> for toddlers, right? right? All the way up to as, as extra large and tall as you can imagine. Like they know how to do this in companies, right? Mm. And I think the important thing is to remember is we can play that analogy out and plan for variability in the classroom in the same way that companies can plan for the variability with t-shirts. Yeah, you know what, Audrey, the other thing is, is that that really drives home the next point of that our children are not broken. Right. The system is, the curriculum is, the instruction is, and all of this drives the need for change, right? So, and UDL is that answer, that source of that resource to that need for change. So let, let's go back to your t-shirt analogy for a minute. Like if a t-shirt didn't fit someone, we would never walk up to them and say, you need to change, right? We just get them a different size. Yeah. Um, and I think this really has a lot of implications for mathematics because if we, if we all agree that our children are not broken, then, then how, do we, how do we justify and deal with this idea of low math groups, right? Um, what about the students who are labeled as quote unquote, not learning their basics? Or what about the students who are in quote unquote, regular math class? And then we might even say that they do not want to learn math. Like we have to completely deal with and rethink all of those things that I just said and push back on them once we agree that our students have variability and our way of teaching has traditionally not been designed to support that. Yeah. So that to me brings up the interesting question of what do you do first? And I've seen this play mm. out in so many different schools in different ways. And maybe it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg. Um, although I'm going to admit that my farming experience is limited. <laughs> so I don't fully understand that analogy, but do you, <laughs> Do you get rid of the broken structures first? Like, do you get rid of the groups that you're talking about? Or do you get rid of the different classes first? Or do you try to change the tier one instruction to be designed differently first? Uh, yeah, now I know why you're saying chicken and the egg. Uh, th this actually reminds me of the mindset and skill set work that I think we've talked about in recent episodes that, you know, we as educators need to make our learning environment more accessible for, for all of our students, right? Then which comes first, the mindset work for us as adults or the skill set work? I actually think we have to do both. Um, if, if we get really excited about the mind shift, mindset shift, and that's kind of what I was talking before about equity, um, but I don't have the skill set, the mindset won't necessarily, it won't, it won't endure. Because I, I, I don't have a, a skill set to, to continue the work. Um, and we've definitely seen it the other way around, um, where we have professional learning, where it's lots of stuff for teachers to do. Um, 
but there's, there's no work around the mindset of the how and the why, and, and the practices don't end up transferring to the classroom. Yeah, I, I see that, Mark, and I appreciate you making that connection. You know, so I think this brings us to some of the stuff that we're rethinking or thinking differently mm. about since maybe the episode uh, and season aired, which is that, um, like, here's, I think this is a perfect example. So I, mm. I recently received an email that said, you know, I know UDL is what students need. I know it's what the districts and administrators are beginning to recognize that we need, but UDL isn't what the teachers are asking for. And that makes me wonder, like, what are the teachers asking for, right? Uh, Because what I hear is teachers are looking for intervention that works and they're looking for a way to get students engaged. And they're looking for how do you support social emotional learning in a classroom at the same time as content? And how do you provide deeper learning experiences for students? And for me, all of the, those things are answered by by using universal design for learning as your means of planning instruction, right? Yeah, gosh, you know, that gets to the question, right? How do we align what we provide with what teachers need? And I think if we polled teachers, teachers would say, boy, as long as I've been teaching, people have been doing a pretty poor job of that. So like, that's really important to me, right? Like we really are... Our work we do to support teachers needs to align with, with what they need. Um, but you know, I, I, in looking back, Audrey, I have to admit, as a teacher, I don't know that I always knew what I should be asking for. I, I knew sort of where I was drowning, but I, I don't think I was very, I don't think I always knew. It's kind of like, you know, the phrase, like, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of applies. And one example that comes to mind is, is using manipulatives when teaching math. I was an elementary school teacher. And when I learned about using manipulatives early in my career and started using them, I'm thinking, wow, this is great. Um, a little bit, I had to get some, you know, things around, like, how do I do this in a classroom? It's a little harder than just passing out worksheets, right? But as I started to change my practice, I started saying to myself, well, kids are, are really more involved and more engaged in, in doing this work as they model it with manipulatives. But you know what? I didn't really understand the full piece of that. I didn't get that it was about helping students get a deeper understanding of the mathematics. Um, so um, I thought really in the end, it was just about students using manipulatives to solve problems. It helped them get the right answer. Um, but I, I just didn't see that deeper value until somebody told me there are times you don't use manipulatives because it doesn't further the mathematical understanding in that situation. And then it clicked for me, I was like, wait, it's not about just using manipulatives. It's about the math understanding. But, but Audrey, if in the way in the beginning, somebody would ask me what I needed, I would have said, hey, I need lots of kinds of manipulatives so that any kind of problem we run into, I have the right kind of manipulatives to show my kids how to use for that. Uh, so they can, they can be more efficient in getting the answer and um, so forth. But that wouldn't have helped me know how to use them as a way to build student mathematical understanding and leave that residue of conceptual learning that is what happens when you're using the manipulatives if enough of the right questions are being asked at the same time. So all that to say that um, I hadn't connected to that purpose yet. So I'm curious how we do a really good job supporting teachers um, as they're still trying to make sure that they have the how and the why of what they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I really appreciate you sharing this example, Mark, because I've definitely had my own share of asking for the wrong things because I hadn't connected yet or didn't understand maybe fully the the purpose or the why of what I was being asked to do or what the 
skill set piece was coming with. Um, and, you know, to that end, I think UDL has had a, war- a bad warm-up band, uh, to use one of your favorite analogies, Mark, right. that, you know, I think we continue to pass around this kind of static paper copy of the UDL guidelines and tell teachers, this is what you need to do. Right. And if we do that, we're going to continue to have teachers say, thanks, but no thanks, or I already do this, or I've got enough on my plate, right? Yeah. And for all that UDL books can do, Katie's very clear, even in her you know, the, this book that, um, mm-hmm. that she wrote and others like it, that we can't get into the nitty gritty of the lesson design because it's too difficult to capture yeah. in a book in the same way that a video observation is of a lesson maybe is too difficult, um, to, to feel the same as being yeah. in a lesson, right? Like they're not the same thing. Oh yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying, Audrey. It, it really takes us back to the last episode, uh, in this season. Remember when we talked about bright spots mm-hmm. and, in that example, we said, when we see a video, we think we need to implement it the exact same way, a class, a video of a, a classroom instruction, right? Um, and this, this really goes against the variability we have as adults, as educators, and, uh, and with our students as well. Yeah, it's a great point. So, so then why, like, if we were to use this UDL lens, what are the barriers, maybe is a better mm-hmm. question. What are the barriers to UDL becoming like a widespread practice like why isn't it becoming the thing that just happens um and like one that comes to mind right away for me is that we're shifting where time needs to be spent like for universal design for learning to happen you need to spend time planning like the bulk of your time is planning maybe even the big the big lift of your work maybe isn't planning where there's different work that would happen in front of students and in the classroom and so I think I think we have to have structures in place and time given to us in order to shift that. It's not something you can do maybe in the same structures or time that's allotted currently for planning. Yeah. And I think our planning might look differently, different too. And mm-hmm. I think we need to support educators on how to make a shift on how we might plan different. So I, I like how you brought that up. You know, Audrey, another barrier that's coming to mind for me is from my seat, as I examine the UDL guidelines and all the different categories and checkpoints, I, I really see a heavy influence of English language arts in the way they develop the examples and certainly the checkpoints and the examples within the checkpoints. Um, and some of them even run a little bit counter to the current best practices we use in teaching and learning mathematics. Um, so I think what this does is it causes some disconnect among Um, elementary teachers when they're teaching math and science and secondary teachers when that is their content area. Um, I think it's, it's, it's hard to fully embrace UDL as an approach if you feel like it is written for a different content area. Um, So one thing I'm hoping, Audrey, is I know they're working on revisions of the guidelines and I, I'm, I'm curious uh, how they might be able to consider the best practices, the current best practices in all content areas as they develop examples within their checkpoint level of the guidelines. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm hopeful that they can make some changes to that that make it more accessible then for folks in teaching mathematics. Mm-hmm. You know, one other barrier that comes to mind, and I know we've talked about this before, is that there's a misconception that UDL is about options. Oh, and right. yeah. options seem like a lot more work. <laughs> than everyone doing the same thing. I know as yep. a secondary teacher, especially if I'm right. thinking that I'm going to have 176 different <laughs> things versus yeah. one product that I can just keep yeah. flipping through and 
you know, that there's still, that feels like a lot of work. And, and I know that's a misconception, but I think that's something you have to think about as a barrier yeah. to why UDL is not becoming a widespread practice. So like there's others, but I wonder if like, if we were to think about using UDL principles, even and how we design options that overcome these barriers, like mm-hmm. how could I put the bulk of my financial resources, if, not, if I'm an administrator into right. additional planning time for teachers, mm-hmm. or how could I get a team of teachers if I'm a coach working together to create a lesson that has a math specific lesson with current best practices embedded in it. Right. Um, Or, you know, maybe even it's just um, ensuring that we're tying options to the barriers um, that we're thinking Mm. about, whether that's a classroom teacher or a coach or administrator, like rethinking how I phrase that and and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's great thinking. What it's reminding me of Audrey is that, you know, you and I have been engaged in some current work uh, around engaging uh, with UDL. So it might be helpful to share that a little bit of that with our listeners in case it connects to any of their work or work they're interested in doing. Um, One of the things that you and I have been doing is uh, we've been using UDL as an approach to planning and delivering professional learning for educators. So in other words, not just looking at UDL as an influence with student learning, but with adult learning. And um, we've just really run into a lot of great uh, ways to push on our practice that it's pretty important to consider the variability of our adult learners. Um, you know, recently you and I were in a setting where we were able to share some of our ideas around using UDL to influence how you plan and deliver professional learning. Um, and this was a, with a group of educators that that was actually their specialty in delivering professional learning. And we had a really strong positive response about how important it is to guide adults in setting clear goals in professional learning. Then as a facilitator, as planning the activities along the way that will reach those goals that are designed around the predicted variability of the adults in the room. And Audrey, I just have to say, this has really changed how I look at how to plan and deliver professional learning in, in all the spaces that I do. Yeah, it's been really exciting to rethink professional learning design that way, you know? And I think one of the things that sticks with me the most is that we have teachers who are just as marginalized or are mm. marginalized in a similar way to our students who are marginalized, mm. right? Like when right. you think about that, we have teachers at each of our schools who are marginalized. Maybe it's the teacher who's really close to retirement. Maybe it's a really newly credentialed teacher, the, the newbie. It's often teachers of color um, and teachers who ident- whose identity maybe doesn't match whatever we've defined our mythical average mm. to be as in terms of identities. And, you know, and sometimes we as leaders of professional learning talk about these marginalized teachers in ways that we would never let a teacher talk about a student. And so I think we need to pause there sometimes and, and let that sink in and say, would I let a teacher talk about a kid this way? Then how am I letting myself talk about my teachers this way? How can I rethink this and come about it a different way? Wow, uh, Audrey, that super powerful message and one that is just going to resonate with me every time I get up in front of folks. So um, that's that's really important. Um, you know, this whole conversation is making me think about as we wrap up today, Audrey, like what are our hopes and intentions about universal design for learning in our county, in San Diego County. Um, And one thing I'm thinking about is since UDL does not live in a certain content area, um, I actually think that ends up 
providing the challenge. Um, it doesn't always have a forum that provides like that give and take way. You know, when you really get to learn something better because you have this give and take kind of a forum that you can have with others. Um, I find that that's harder to find with UDL in, in our county. And I think we just need a better method of sharing and communicating work that everybody's doing, um, looking for others doing similar work within UDL. And just, just like I said, having that pushing and challenging each other so that we can just be challenged to design even further to the edges, right? Yeah. Because in doing that, we're doing something that is essential for some, but good mm -hmm. for all, right? And so right. when we can really leverage designing for those margins, I, I think we really have the opportunity to design for everyone. So great point, Mark. You mm -hmm. know, I think I can say that we are really interested in hearing from listeners around this um, and welcoming conversation within San Diego County and even beyond, if, if you're doing this work, super interesting to connect with folks who are thinking about this. So whether it be on Twitter or reaching us out, reaching out to us via, you know, our website or emails, we, um, we would love to hear from you because I truly believe that UDL has the power to be how we actualize equity. And I am so excited to see how we can transform our learning spaces in a way that designed for the brilliance of our students in the classroom and our teachers when we're working with professional learning. Yeah, absolutely, Audrey. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll be taking a short break for the holidays and we'll be back in the new year with a new season on a new book. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on rethinking our practices.